All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. Amen. Please be seated. Here we are entering the last two weeks before our pledge cards are due, and we have a gospel text that turns our attention to money. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is just a little too on point. Within this story lies one of the better-known lines in Scripture, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. But it's also one of the most misunderstood lines. It's strange the way we tend to read the Bible, isn't it? We want pithy mottos, phrases we can pluck out of context and turn into universal claims, especially when the phrases can be used to justify what we already believe. We often hear the phrase, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, as an endorsement of the political or socioeconomic systems that are already in place. Or we think it's a passage about differentiating our political lives from our personal lives, a passage telling us when we can obey the state and when to obey God. Or we just hear the passage as a text telling us to be good citizens who pay our taxes. We want pithy mottos to guide our behavior, but Jesus wants our moral imaginations to expand. We want to make render under Caesar what is Caesar's a rule to follow, but Jesus invites us to undergo a total paradigm shift. It's especially easy to read Jesus' response to the Pharisees and Herodians as him trying to strike a balance between loyalty to human systems and loyalty to God, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. This is especially tempting for us as Anglicans who have at the center of our tradition and moral formation the notion of the via media, the middle way, a robust concept that tends to get reduced to compromise. Give a little to the, emperor, to the empire, give a little to the kingdom of God. Invest in the American dream, invest a little in God. Give some to the market, give some to God. But this interpretation has a hard time aligning with the other things that Jesus says Like earlier in Matthew's gospel, you can't serve two masters, money and God. Surely Jesus is not now talking about how to divide one's loyalties. He repeatedly warns against the perils of riches, and the Bible uses a harsh term for split loyalties, for the masters we try to serve alongside God, and that name is idolatry. Last week's passage in Exodus told of Aaron and the Hebrew people casting an idol, a golden calf, to replace the God who had liberated them from slavery. And in our epistle today, Paul praises the Thessalonians for how they turned to idols, excuse me, from idols to God to serve a living and true God. In the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, turning from idols was a subversive act directed against the emperor and done out of faith in God. The Pharisees and the Herodians knew this, and so they tried to trap Jesus with the question, 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? The Roman tax referenced here was levied annually on harvest and personal property for everyone who was registered on the census, and it put a heavy economic burden on the impoverished reverence, on the impoverished residents of first century Palestine. Adding insult to injury, the coin used to pay the tax was a silver denarius bearing an image of the emperor Tiberius with an inscription ascribing divinity to him. Many faithful Jews saw the tax as idolatry, and they were angered that they were forced into this activity. So the Pharisees and Herodians think they have Jesus trapped. If Jesus answers, yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, he aligns himself with empire and alienates both the faithful Jews wanting to avoid idolatry and the poor Jewish masses oppressed by the tax. If Jesus answers, no, don't pay the tax, he aligns himself with revolutionaries and can be arrested for treason against Rome and for fostering sedition. These seem to be the only two options. Whether it's in first century Palestine or 21st century Israel-Palestine, the way we are supposed to think about things has already been prescribed. All that we have been taught to believe, whether about money or conflict in the Middle East, all that we think we know already about who is right, who is wrong, who is good, and what side we should choose— can blind us to what Jesus cares most about, the real human beings before us. No matter our political calculus or commitments, we know and should not be afraid to say that God does not want one more child, one more mother or father, sister or brother, to die by violence. Jesus cuts through our limited options and asks our moral imaginations to expand. He turns our attention to the human being who bears the image of God. Jesus borrows a Roman coin and asks about its image. It's Caesar's, they say. Then give it back to Caesar, Jesus replies. For what is Caesar's bears the image of Caesar, and what is God's bears the image of God. And who or what bears God's image, we should ask. Every human person, according to Genesis, and every living thing, according to Hebrew wisdom literature. The earth is the Lord's, and all that is in it, sings the psalmist. Everything, everyone, belongs to God. So give to God what is God's. Every living thing is marked with God's inscription. Both options given to Jesus, yes, pay the tax, or no, don't pay the tax, give the coin too much value. Both options assume the coin determines what is of value. Jesus offers an invitation to reconsider what we value and what we owe, what our responsibilities are to God and to one another. When we assume that it is money that is valuable, we of course want to hold on to it for ourselves and for our families. That misplaced value limits our moral imaginations. 
When we let go of the money we hold on to, we enter the flow of God's generous spirit. As Simon's epistle to the parish articulated last week, generosity is more than a discreet act of giving, like paying our taxes. In God's kingdom and through the power of the Holy Spirit, generosity becomes its own economy, where what we release takes on a life of its own. It multiplies and comes back to us in ways we could have never imagined when we let it go. This is the economy that the candidates here on these front rows are getting baptized into. This is the economy that the confirmands this evening are reaffirming. Paul tells the Thessalonians that as they turn away from idols of their imperial culture, they are called to create new cultural, social, and economic relationships that align with God's kingdom. The earliest Christians did just that. The communities and acts created an alternative economy, one in which everything was held in common, so no one was in need. Everything belonged to God, and therefore to one another. As I think about the creative ways that churches and nonprofits have reimagined our economic relationships with one another, I can't help but think of the prophet Isaiah who offers this vision. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. How can one buy without money, we ask? The economy of God's kingdom must require a different currency. The currency brought by the one in need is not what bears the image of Caesar, but what bears the image of God, oneself, the human being made in God's image, the human being who has basic material and relational needs that must be met to live the abundant life that God intends. When I hear Isaiah's vision, I think about the ministries we already have and the ministries waiting to be born. I think of threads. You who have no money, come and buy school uniforms. The families at threads are not objects of our charity, but subjects with dignity because they already possess the only currency that has real value, themselves, children of God bearing God's image. When I hear Isaiah's words, I think of food pantries set up like grocery stores where people come, shop with dignity, and choose what they like to eat. I think of Same Cafe in Denver, Colorado, the second pay-what-you-can restaurant in the U.S., where people who have financial resources pay more and people who are struggling financially pay less. Everyone deserves the chance to eat healthy food while being treated with dignity, they say. And so a range of volunteers and patrons prep food, wait tables, and wash dishes in hopes that dignified exchange might become a way of life. We don't yet fully know what will happen as we let go of our money more and more, as we turn from idols and misplaced value, as we immerse ourselves more deeply into the flow of God's generosity. 
But aren't you curious to find out? We are invited to join anew with the candidates for baptism and confirmation, to join in the economy of God's kingdom. We are invited to be a demonstration plot for that kingdom, where we too will receive grace upon grace, because in God's economy, gifts abound. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. Amen.